This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to the world according to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we will talk to Siobhan Leachman, a citizen scientist and prolific Wikidata editor. Admit it. You had to be excited about this one, given your love of citizen science. Yes. And the data. In the last episode, uh, we talked to Jan uh, about what Wikidata is, uh, how it's grown uh, since it was created a few years ago, and some of the very cool applications of data sets and the potential for linked data. In this episode, we'll explore a little bit more about how Wikidata can be used as a tool for discovery and cataloging people, places, animals, and things in a similar fashion to Wikipedia without as many constraints and the very high standards of notability that can overly burden emerging topics. So it's like space, the final frontier. And we are the voyages of the starship Wikidata. And I kind of get the feeling that more Wikipedians I know are Star Wars more than Star Trek, well, but that might be. That's their problem and not ours. Like, they chose the inferior star. But okay, Starship Starship Wookiee data, if you insist. Um, what you will hear uh, from me is, is mostly, you know, I'm completely nerding out uh, with someone with very similar editing interests to me, but works in a completely different way and uses quite different tools to the ones that I do. Um, and I love this because it shows that there's no one way to be a Wikimedian. And that having people working in different ways and similar content is actually really important. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm finding most interesting about all of the interviews that we've done. I mean, this is going to be the 20th interview. And what I'm most liking is how people are using Wikipedia and its associated tools and how differently they all approach it. Yeah, yeah you know, we talk about the origin story being the something is wrong on the Internet, but how mm-hmm. you approach fixing that. Yes. Seems to be, you know, a kind of a movable feast, which is, you know, and there's always some surprises along the way. This is true. So uh, what is our rule? Rule me up, baby. The rule of randomness, which is probably a rule that I haven't looked up yet. There probably is a rule of randomness. That's not the one we're looking at today. By now we know that Wikipedians love an in-joke or a bit of their own lore that they've written. But did you know that some Wikipedians identify themselves by using something called Wikifauna? I'm not quite sure how to express the quizzical look on my face right now that I imagine is on my face right now, because what? You're going to like this. Trust me. There are strong hints of D&D to be found here. Ah, here be dragons. There is. There literally is. Oh. You can be, you can think of this as a kind of tongue in cheek way of describing Wikipedians by personality type. So specifically, a wiki dragon is described as having desirable traits of an editor who is sporadically highly active and, when sporadically highly active, bold and grand, but exhibits less desirable traits of being clumsy or overconfident. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so I presume there are other kind of fauna out there as well. So uh, what are you, if you don't mind me asking? 
there is a whole list uh, from orcs to sloths. So some of them are kind of mythological animals. Others are more zoological. There's also the various stages of man uh, has been plotted out using these things. But to be honest, I have to admit, I waver. I like the idea of being a wiki cat, which is predictable. Um, but that definition probably isn't quite right. So a wiki cat is described as having desirable editing traits, such as being goal orientated. They're also described as ambitious editors with the neutral quality of being less social. Which, eh, maybe. Now that you say it, like, I don't know why you, you set yourself, you set yourself goals every year. They're big goals. They're, you know, and I mean, you are socially social sometimes. You like talking sometimes to people. I yeah. Yeah. Wiki cats are generally seen as wanting to become uh, administrators, which is not okay. something that they necessarily strive yeah. to do. But I'm probably also, I could be a wiki chef. So cooking up new pages, boom, boom. Um, or sometimes a wiki necromancer resurrecting old or forgotten pages. So maybe I'm a wiki hybrid. Hmm. Definitely some ideas for your character in our upcoming D&D campaign there. A smorgasbord, if you will. Yes. Come on, sissy there, pod. Let's get... Thickening! Are you a fan of the Emmy award-winning show RuPaul's Drag Race? Do you think about Roxy Andrews at the bus stop? And do you belong in Party City? Well, Sissy That Pod is the podcast for you. Join me, James, and my co-host, Keen. Is there something on my face? As we chat weekly about the runway realness, sickening shade, and backstage buffoonery. That's right, whether it's new episodes of Drag Race US, UK, or All-Stars, Sissy That Pod will spill the tea with a new episode for you within 24 hours. So make good choices and subscribe to Sissy That Pod from the Headstuff Podcast Network and we'll leave you gagging on our eleganza. Now, let the music play! We're now going to talk to Siobhan about how she got started editing Wikimedia projects and how that developed into a passion for Wikidata. Hi, I'm Siobhan Leachman and I'm a New Zealand Wikipedian um, and citizen scientist. I edit Wikipedia, English Wikipedia, Wikicommons and Wikidata, and I'm particularly interested in topics like natural history, women and their contributions, and as well, of course, New Zealand. Fantastic. Welcome to the show. I'm absolutely delighted uh, to have you with us. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, for negotiating our, our very disparate time time zones. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose to, to get to the, the, the start of it, where the, the story starts, um, how did you get started editing Wikimedia projects? Well, I initially got sucked into editing um, English Wikipedia because I was digitally volunteering for the Smithsonian Transcription Centre. And I was helping them um, by transcribing handwritten documents so that they be- could become machine readable. And the project manager of the Transcription Centre was a woman called Megan Ferreter. Um, and she encouraged me to learn to edit Wikipedia because many of the women we were coming across lacked Wikipedia articles. And so I just attempted to learn. Now, this was in the days when you had to learn source code rather than visual editor. So it was quite a barrier to me because I'd never done anything like that before. But yeah, it was an interesting experience. But once I got my head around it, I really enjoyed it. Was there much of a leap? Was the transcription uh, platform more user-friendly in your experience or was it quite yeah different? very much so uh, you basically um back when I started there were very few actual volunteers for it it was in its beta 
phase. So the volunteers themselves were coming up with the markup for the project itself, just said, look, please just transcribe stuff. And the volunteers were saying, well, what do we do if it's underlined? How do we mark that up? You know, just to say, you know, someone put an underline in there to emphasize this. How do we mark it up in the transcription? And there'd be a discussion amongst the volunteers working on that particular project. It wasn't even consistent throughout the entire transcription centre. It may just be relating to that particular project. But yeah, so, and I'd never done code before, so, or any source markup or anything like that before. So it was a real challenge. And it took me, you know, two, three, four goes before I actually really got my head round and sorted as to how to go about editing. I do like the idea of the community coming to coming to like a shared way of doing things by consensus. What does that remind you of? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the way we organize ourselves. It's the way that nerds organize, it turns out. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> so um, like many of us started with, with Wikipedia. When did you start focusing on Wikidata editing for your citizen science? Well, it actually wasn't that long afterwards. I looked at the first dates of um, what I used to do, you know, my first contribution. And it was only about another, I started editing um, English Wikipedia and I think it was the end of 2014. And by the end of 2015, I discovered Wikidata. Now, um, by this time, I'd actually been involved in like several numerous citizen science and digital humanities projects, digitally volunteering for them. And I was getting really frustrated because I couldn't always get the people who I thought were really important into Wikipedia because of the notability criteria. And so there'd be these really important women or specimen collectors or scientific artists, but they couldn't be covered because I couldn't find any secondary sources for them. So instead, what I'd, I'd, I was desperately trying to get them in there. So I, the first step I always thought was to get them into the database of the institution that holds their content. And it could be when researching them and I'm looking at the online catalogue, there might not actually be that much information about these people in the institution that held their work. So I would email the institutions with all the re- all the research I'd done after finding these people out about in my citizen science projects. And sometimes they'd respond really gratefully and two or three months later, you might see the improvement in their catalogue. And sometimes they completely ignore my email and I didn't get any response at all. So when I discovered Wikidata as a way to actually put the information I was actually finding, a pl- just a place that I could put it in and link it. And I could also put all my research in there as a references. So I would make items and then add in all the links I could find, all the research I could find about this person into the Wikidata item and hope that by doing that, the next person who came along would, you know, one, benefit from all my research. And two, add to it to the point where they might create secondary sources, which then, when I come back, would enable me to actually create a Wikipedia, a Wikipedia article, rather. Yeah. So I just, I just fell in love. Wikidata just rocked my world. It is brilliant for those, uh, even the ones that are kind of a, it's a close run thing. Like you could mm. take a chance on a Wikipedia article, mm. but then mm. it could get extinguished quite quickly. That it's that nice. Yeah. It's not quite a holding pattern because Wikidata serves its own purpose, but it is. I see it as a stepping stone, as a stepping yeah. stone. It's a, it's a continuation because the number of times I've done that and then come back and other editors have either add identifiers or perhaps an obituary link or something like that or link them to scientific literature that discusses their work. It means that 
I get the when I go back to the item, I get exposed to other people's research and can push them over the notability criteria without, you know, just because of me putting them into wiki data. So yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely love it. It's exciting when uh, it's exciting when you think you've been working on something really niche and then somebody else comes along and you're like, yay. Yeah, exactly. Not just me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we've alluded to it really, but you know, I suppose there's anything else I want to say about that. You, know, you obviously think it's very important for people to contribute to Wikidata. But do you want to expand on that yeah. a little bit more? Yeah, I really do think it is. Um, it's also the potential of Wikidata. I mean, it's the linked open data bit and the, and the fact that it's also a hub for identifiers. So what blows my mind is that you can exponentially increase the um, information known about a particular subject because of the actual linking um, rather than just the item itself, for example. And once um, people and organisations start actually getting and understanding that Wikidata just doesn't, it's a fabulous database and it contains amazing data, but it's the hub bit that really, really excites me. And once you explain to institutions and to people about that hub aspect of Wikidata, it's the reason why I'm convinced more and more and more people and institutions should contribute. Because that's, to me, the, the, the gold, the, the absolute diamond part of the project, yeah. What I really love about it is that um, it allows for kind of multifaceted framing. So somebody, mm. especially if you're kind of way, you know, 100, 150 years in the past, somebody wasn't just, you know, they, they weren't a botanist per se. They, mm. you know, they might have been mm. a flower illustrator. And, and it allows for that kind of, uh, the ability you're to link at to a- all of, yeah. Yeah, when you're looking at a person, you're looking at the whole person's life, not just the fact that they were perhaps the best botanist in this particular country for this period of time. You can put into Wikidata things like they are they also illustrated their articles. They're also a really keen skier and won the Olympics in 1936, but everyone's forgotten about it because they were a fantastic botanist in 1970. You know, all that sort of stuff. You can connect everything. Or they were co-collectors, and they were co-collectors with Darwin. You know, so that sort of it's the it's the connections and the the ability to portray people through, I guess, through more 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 of a not just on one facet of their life, but all facets. Yeah, yeah. Because even if you have all that content on a Wikipedia article, say the way you frame it is nearly always going to be weighted more towards, mm. as you mm. say, what they well, get. It's going to be noted towards the the thing that they're notable for in order to get them into Wikipedia. I mean, that's just yeah. how it is. Whereas it's not, I don't think it's the same. It's possibly, I know that's arguable. But yeah, I think Wikidata enables someone to to add things in that might not necessarily make it into a Wikipedia article. Yeah, yeah, to allow them to occupy a a very different space. Mm. So you've mentioned uh, some of your work on on, uh, women in particular, and, you know, we're often told mixed feelings about the use of hidden uh, when it comes to histories and things like that. but you know, how difficult has it been, I suppose, from the point of view of the work that you've done, uh, to find some of the women that you've researched? Um, some of them are really easy, and it's just a matter of knowing the resources to go to. So it's been, you know, it's a learning experience doing this sort of work. And I, I, I tend to um, specialise in natural history women. And so I know the databases, and I know the types of searches, and I know I can go to the Internet Archive and do a 
um, a, a you know, full text search or I'll go to the Biodiversity Heritage Library and do the same and then find them and link them. And that's okay. That's assuming the content is actually digitised. One of the things that people forget nowadays is not everything is on the internet. And so when these people are referred to or these women are referred to as hidden, it tends to be because the places that they are documented in might not necessarily have been digitised yet. And so I don't and can't have access. Say, for example, they've got a journal or um, their illustrations are in a museum or a library or an archive. And all you've got is, the, if you've got that at all, a catalogue record. Sometimes you'll have a record that will just have a name and a name isn't enough. You need more information than a name. You need to actually look at the content to work out that it, that is that person who did that in order to link them in. So the, the hidden aspect is one, whether the stuff that they've touched or dealt with or um, mentions them has been digitised and, and two, whether I can have access to it because, of course, there's paywalls and there's you know, all sorts of issues. So hidden is like a... There's a you can say hidden. They may not necessarily be hidden. They are there. It's just a matter of the challenge of getting to them. Yeah, it's a discoverability piece, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. So what what what's your your like rallying call when it comes to you know to other citizen sciences or institutions that are thinking about engaging in citizen science pro- uh, projects? Oh, just be open. Please be open. There's so many people in in the world who can reuse your content for so many different things. And if um, if people, if you're a citizen scientist, for example, and you may be working on a on an app or putting together a data set or whatever you're doing, if you're doing it for the good of the world, can you please, and not commercially, for example, um, if you're doing it for the good of everybody, license it with that intent. So license data set CC0, license images CC0, CC by, CC share alike, you know, by share alike, you know, whatever. Um, just think about the end user and the reuse possibilities. And even then you won't think of everything because if you open it, it's amazing what people do with your content. And it won't just be Wikipedia, Wikidata, Wikicommons, Wikisource. It will be a whole load of other reuses that you will never have imagined. You know, someone printing it off and, making fabric and making a dress out of your data, you know, your, your image of your data. I've seen people do that. Wow. Uh, it's just amazing. It blows my mind. I've got a redacted scarf. I've got a scarf with um, images of a redacted uh, pieces of secret information, and it's because the redacted drew interesting shapes and it got made into a scarf. Yeah, and I just love it because it's just so meta. That's amazing. That's amazing. And Yeah. yeah. So now for our... A very specific one, uh, niche content, which is um, a man that has has uh, I suppose joined us across the oceans and the internet, uh, and that's a gentleman that most people yeah. will not have heard of, uh, Arthur Wilson Stelfox, uh, who I came across yeah. uh, in the undigitized depths uh, of uh, the Natural History Museum here in Dublin, which is referred to as the Dead Zoo. But you have a very different relationship yeah. uh, with him. And what what is that? I, uh, yeah, I started out with the, in the Transcription Centre. One of the biggest projects I got involved with was transcribing um, bumblebee specimen labels. And so they digitized all these fabulous fluffy bumblebees, all different species. 
Um, and then you had all these little teeny tiny handwritten specimen labels and you had to basically transcribe them into a certain uh, format and then that would be uploaded as part of the catalogue. And I, Stellfox, AW Stellfox just kept coming up again and again and again, like thousands of specimens, all by him, all collected by him. And so um, what I ended up doing was going, oh, who is this guy? And going away and finding out about him. And then turned out that the Smithsonian also had his uh, journal of collection events for these bumblebees, these gorgeous bumblebees. And if you've ever seen an a, a entomology specimen label, they are tiny. There is barely enough room to put the date, possibly a um, abbreviation of the collection where the collection event happened and who the collector is. And that's about it. Whereas his journal gave details about the weather, where he went, what plants grew there, where he went to actually collect them. Oh, I found them in a bush of nettles or whatever. And so much information or, you know, on the banks of this particular river, half a mile down from the bridge. So much more accurate than the actual specimen label could be. And it just seemed to me, because we were dealing, the whole purpose of transcribing these labels and imaging these bumblebees, was to attempt to conserve endangered species that perhaps people actually might need this extra data in order to, one, perhaps try and find them again or work out where they are. So um, I transcribed this with other volunteers, his journals, and just thought he was amazing because he's so prolific. He's every single day, every lunch hour, dinner hour, you name it, he's out there with his net collecting bumblebees. He's just or Lepidoptera, beetles, mollusks, you name it, he's out there collecting. But a lot of them were were bumblebees. Yeah, so I loved him. I just think he's great. And of course, and very recently, I expanded the article on his uh, man who's his partner in crime an awful lot of the time, Eugene O'Mahony. Oh, cool! Because I think I created that article. Quite possibly, good. quite possibly. Because I, I yeah, yeah, with the current curator in the Natural History Museum in Dublin, tweeted I think about. Um, a label of Omahanese, and I suddenly went, oh yeah, God, that's very familiar. And the handwriting, of course, I mean, Stell Fox's handwriting is delibly yeah, marked awful. on my brain. <laughs> Dreadful. Uh, we'll have to send, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It took me a while to get used to write, write, reading it and then transcribing it because it was not easy. Yeah. One yeah. of the things that I'm hoping with with um, the museum is to even just, the first step would be like getting their signatures and that kind of thing and putting those into the, the Wikipedia articles. Um, uh, you know, it was a, uh, even as just a, a sample. Well, now now the Smithsonian is um, uh, CC zero for images. You should go on their website and have a look because um, I'm pretty sure there will be uh, in the journals themselves signatures that you could then take. I don't know. It's certainly about self box. Self box shouldn't be difficult to find. So yeah, I can help you with that. So you've taken your your experience, I suppose, the stealth hawk experience, and did you kind of take a lot of the things that you learned about that then to write about some of the the women that you've been talking about on Wikidata, kind of the yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's a, it's a growth thing. I'm was by no means an expert in this, and I learned so much from the Smithsonian Transcription Centre just transcribing things and then going away and just attempting to research. And then people would point me to particular areas to go and look at, and and you know, you just learn and learn and learn. And once once you learn the skills of actually researching and where to go for these particular types of resources, then you can apply it to other things that you're doing. And because, okay, yeah, biodiversity is a really big topic and quite wide, 
but that's sort of, I wouldn't call it specialised because I do tend to be a bit of a bumblebee myself and go from jump from project to project to project like the flowers. But um, it is a, an area of interest. And so I have no difficulty um, working in women with, um, you know, botanists or specimen collectors or entomologists, you name it. Especially, I prefer dead people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll work on live people, but I really like dead people. And so, <laughs> much easier to pin down. So yeah, little entomology joke. Yeah, there. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> and also also that more like to have an obituary or a death date in like some of the genealogy resources that I use, which helps. Once you've got dates, you can actually confirm that the name you're dealing with is the person you're dealing with. And so then it sort of cascades from there. You need to make sure when you're disambiguating someone that you've actually got some data to hang on. But even then, even if you don't, even if you don't have anything and you've, you've got a name, you've got a link and you've got a sort of an approximate date for when they did something, you can still put them in Wikidata. That's the great thing. And just say, you know, this is the person, this is the name, reference it. They, you know, can affiliated with this particular organisation or created this particular work or illustrated this particular um, whatever, a painting or botanical illustration and link them in that way and then you just wait and people will come and find them and help you because it's, that's, that's a wiki. It's fabulous. It's the wiki way. Bees, all about the bees. Not robot bees. No, but bees. And obscure Irish naturalists. You know, it's, it's a good mix. Yeah. No, that was fascinating. Really, really very interesting. Yeah, enjoyed that a lot. A lot of nerding out. Uh, yeah. I basically found my New Zealand counterpart, I think is yeah. what I discovered. <laughs> At some point you're going to have to meet halfway around the world. Yes. And swap bees. Maybe not bees. Although bees do go in the post. Um, so people... I don't <laughs> think New Zealand thing. would be okay with me posting, posting bees. bees. No, I, I suspect not. But uh, I, I found this fascinating that like, if you're a beekeeper, bees do get sent to you in the post in a little bee cage. Uh, a new queen gets sent out to you. Um, but that's a, I'm sorry, I'm digressing. This is... <laughs> Be careful. Well, what's what's interesting, if you kind of compare what Jan was talking about, which was, you know, kind of really large data sets and kind mm-hmm. of big uploads and lots of, uh, I suppose heavyweight tools to then get data to talk to each other and, and perhaps kind of doing mapping and things like that. But what Siobhan was talking about was actually just editing individual items you yeah. know, as she was finding the information, which is a very different. And I think a lot of people don't think about Wikidata. You know, a lot of people who would do the mm-hmm. mass uploads and things like that don't think about it as something that you do individual work on. But for anybody who's worked in like a museum or a library or, you know, anything else that has a catalogue, that all makes sense. Like it's the bread and potatoes of, of, or, you know, the meat and potatoes is the work that you do on a day-to-day basis. So it makes utter sense to spend your time doing that. And I love the, the all the interconnectivity of the different projects and how yeah. you have the domino effect of an image appearing somewhere else and then being fed through so many other platforms um, and enriching so many other places on the internet. I found really, or sorry, on the web. Um, I found really uh, enjoyable and really fascinating. Yeah, no, it was very good. And for more of that kind of thing, you can check us out on headstuffplus.com, which we'll have this weekend. I will definitely, it's been a, it's been a while. Uh, it's been, I, I keep making promises and I keep failing, but I will get the interviews up onto the Headstuff Plus, the extended interviews. They will be there because we're going on a hiatus for 
few months uh, until the new year. So uh, this is our last episode of this season. Um, and we will be back. But in the meantime, you get to listen to all the extended interviews uh, on the Headstuff Plus network, along with all of the other Headstuff Plus podcasts, which are amazing. Um, and this week in particular, uh, the Spice Bag podcast, I'm going to give a shout out to my favorite podcast. They they recommended a bakery that they interviewed a person who ran a bakery uh, that is literally five minutes away from me. And I stuffed my face on Brazilian cakes yesterday. So that's their fault. Um, so you can check out Spice Bag <laughs> amongst other ones on, on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Um, and and you just give us your five euro a month plus VAT uh, and you get all of the extra bonus content from us and from our uh, podcast family. Um, and it's great. And you should do that. And that over the course of the next few months, while we're on uh, hiatus, we will be uploading occasional nuggets, maybe a deeper dive into the wiki dragons of the world, you know. Perhaps Halloween. Halloween episode. There might there might be a spooky episode. And perhaps a festival. I don't have any bells. Uh, insert bell effect. I mean, here. December is a while away, despite what shops might tell us. Uh, December is a while <laughs> away, but you can get yourself an early Christmas present by getting a Headstuff Plus, uh, joining the Headstuff Plus network and getting all of our bonus material. I am great at this. Um, so yes. Five year a month a plus fat. Career waiting for Fanula in the sales industry. Yeah, um, totally. Headhunter now. So again, I must ask you for the last time this season, who is this episode's hero? This one might be a bit more of a hero in the making from a Wikimedia point of view. But on the 14th of September 2021, the Wikimedia Foundation announced its new CEO. Tell me more. Her name is Mariana Iskander. She's an Egyptian woman who grew up in the States and uh, she is a social entrepreneur. At the moment, she is the CEO of the Harambe Youth Employment Accelerator in South Africa. And she's been in that post since 2013 and will take up her new role in with Wikimedia in January 2022. Has huh. she any exciting plans like that you're aware of? She has already said that the implementation of Wikimedia's uh, much lauded movement strategy is a very high priority for her. But she is also very motivated to continue the work that uh, Catherine you know, was kind of very high up in her priority list as well around the gender gap, as well as what we as a community have come to know as knowledge equity, which refers to the access, you know, access to Wikimedia projects with the ability to meaningfully contribute in a way that is relevant to you, regardless of where you are in the world. Yeah, I kind of like this move towards equity. I mean, everything anyone can technically edit or contribute but in reality it's not that easy for people in certain areas or communities yeah and wikipedia in particular has uh, served a certain predominantly white and quote-unquote western you know western communities you know relatively well up until now so now we need to focus on those who have you know who have not been served as well and listen to what they what they need and want and use that to shape wikipedia to reflect their knowledge experience and culture she, I did notice that Siobhan kept saying she was she editing edited English Wikipedia. Yes, yeah, very con. Like I, I don't think it was conscious on her part, but it was very noticeable that she was saying it, which I, I quite liked. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, the the New Zealand context is really interesting, and I think it's it's a good example of perhaps a Wikimedia user group that is very aware of First Nations and the handling of visual representations of that community and, you know, 
increasingly respecting place names and animal names and mm. and so you know that that is a really good example of what we want to replicate across the world yeah. so the idea that when a museum flings open its metaphorical doors that actually there's a thought process around the care that needs to go into can we release you know mm-hmm. these images or objects or words in this way or you know is that honoring the people from which they come that kind of thing and and we myself and Siobhan chatted for a good hour outside of the um outside of the conversation and uh, some of the things that she was talking about how, how you know weavers in New Zealand in particular like if you show them you know a cloak or a piece of woven material from Maori uh, origins from a museum collection they can interrogate it and tell you from what family that has come okay. from because they have specific techniques and things like yeah. that so yeah it was really really interesting and I think the fact that um, new CEO is coming from, you know, despite having, you know, grown up in the States, you know, has had experience outside of the United States yeah. and in that kind of space of, um, you know, equity and access and things like that. I think really well placed to perhaps take the movement, you know, where Further. it needs to go. Yeah. And where it is, you know, kind of said in 2030 where we want to be, which, yeah. you know, when we when we started the started everything back in 2015, you know, 2030 sounds like a very long time away. but going to be eight years away indeed and that was the world according to wikipedia join us again in january yes as i said before in the podcast we are taking a break until the new year however there will be bonus content available up at headstuff plus you can subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice follow us on twitter at world underscore wikipedia thanks to patricia o'flaherty for our artwork and Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes, more information, and to support the Headstuff Plus network. In this episode, we're going to talk to Siobhan Leachman, a citizen scientist, and prolific with a data er- er- the blah blah. <sighs> of all the words to fluff, that was a good one. I know. <laughs> this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.